0: You know what it is. That's right. It's time to talk money with your money nerd and financial coach. Now, tighten those purse strings and open those ears. It's the Money Talk with Tiff podcast.
1: What up? What up? What up? What up? What up? Happy Monday.
2: Hey, happy Monday. How are y'all doing?
1: Doing, doing
3: I had to yeah. start it off with some black love before I.
2: He said you got to do what with black love.
3: I had to go ahead and throw some love out on the on the app before I can even speak. I'm, I'm trying to get my hearts and all that out early.
2: I oh, got gotcha. All right, I'm just trying to wait a little bit so everybody can get in here. I have been sitting here trying to get last week's episode together so I can make it live tonight before 12 a.m. <laughs> hopefully tonight we are not talking for two and a half hours.
1: No, not hopefully. We need to make sure that we are not talking for two and a half hours. <laughs> hey, when
3: does when your, uh, your calendar go off, Rocky? Because I know last week you said, look, we overtime." <laughs>
1: It was a good conversation, mm-hmm. but we need to have some work. Can't be the two-hour Black people saying goodbye.
3: <laughs> Alter calls, man.
2: Yeah, for sure. So I'll give it a few more minutes because I know some a few other people said they was coming. So hopefully they did not get caught up and about to miss the boat because, like you said, we're not going to be on here for two and a half hours tonight. I am tired. I still got to finish the rest of this previous week. And yeah. All right. So I think, because you know, I like to be on time. (laughs) I think we'll go ahead and start with introductions. And just to preface, tonight we're going to be talking about financial myths because today is Indigenous People Day, AKA used to be Columbus Day. But we want to talk about myths in the financial realm of things, being that this whole day was a myth until they changed it to Indigenous People Day. And let me see. And I think everybody that's supposed to be a speaker, I sent out invites. So check your your invites. All right, so my name is Tiffany Grant. I run Money Talk with Tiff, which is a financial education platform. I love talking about money and just educating people around various money topics. I consider it like a money variety show and blog. Uh, so we cover some of everything. Uh, so that's pretty much who I am and what I do. Rakim.
1: My name is Rakim Sabri. I cover financial trauma and financial empowerment for people who look like me. And that looks different depending on the uh, venue. I write, I speak, uh, I coach. And everywhere you can find me at Rakim Sabree, R-A-H-K-I-M-S-A-B-R-E-E, no hyphens, underscores, or periods.
4: Hello, my name is Nia, creator and founder of Perspectives. What I do is I provide down-to-earth money and home buying tips to women seeking financial stability.
3: Snap, snap,
4: snap. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you,
3: Rackham. My name is Jonathan Thomas. I help people build wealth uh, and utilize the financial system as a partner. You can find me at J. Thomas Solutions on IG and right here on Twitter.
2: All right, perfect. And I just saw Kamari pop in. I sent you a speaker invite. So as soon as you pop up, <laughs> you could do your intro. Kamari, did you get it?
0: Yes, ma'am. President of
2: China, right, cool. So go ahead and do your intro. Uh,
0: good, good, good morning. I'm mm, messed up, y'all. Uh, good evening, everybody. Kamari there, also known as the Finance Rebel. You could find me on all platforms. Uh, As a finance robot, I talk about money from every perspective that I've worked in, whether it be accounting, financial advising, institutional money management, uh, politics. Uh, I try to bring education to our community just through my experience in education.
5: Thank you.
2: Thank you. And Melody, I saw you pop up. Good evening,
6: everyone. My name is Dr. Melody Wright. I am the founder of Broke on Purpose, and I'm also the director of financial education at Kinley, an upcoming fintech. And what I do is I help people who make money learn how to dig through all the chaos and noise that is their financial life, learn how to strategically manage it.
2: Perfect. Thank you. And I think we got everybody... Okay. All right. So I guess that's everybody so far. So let's go ahead and get this conversation started. Like I said, we're going to be talking about financial myths and things that are common misconceptions or things that we're taught that aren't all the way accurate. Uh, Who wants to start us off? I'll go.
0: Where do we start? Do we have one? (laughs) There's so many. We're here on Twitter, right? Twitter is the home of Twitter LLC, Twitter S Corp, Twitter life insurance, a trust. A lot of these things are not necessarily quote-unquote myths, but they are misinterpreted or they're presented in a very mythical fashion, a very fraudulent fashion. Uh, oftentimes, I guess, to never one out the gate, probably the most popular is everybody should get an LLC. Uh, that's not true. Uh, there's a lot of bad information going on around there. I could go on about this for days and days and days. But the IRS, at the end of the day, doesn't even really care about an LLC. When I speak about LLCs, I'm talking about LLCs, specifically for solo member LLCs. So that's that's what I got. All
2: right. So I'm glad you started us off with that because I can speak to that. Personally, I have owned many businesses, and only one actually made an LLC, and that was because... It was a logistics business, which means it had a lot of risk. But like, for instance, Money Talk with TIFF is a sole proprietorship. And yes, I can still do all the things that LLCs can do. I have a business bank account. I have an EIN. I have all that stuff. I can get government grants, all of that stuff under Money Talk with TIFF as a sole proprietorship and not an LLC. So Like Kamari said, you don't have to have an LLC in order to be a quote unquote business. And unfortunately, that's a lot of noise that's out there. And like I said, I've had a ton of businesses. I mean, at least six during the pandemic and none of them were LLCs except for one. And that was because the risk entailed it to be an LLC. It needed to be one because it was very risky. So I always tell people, Whenever you are starting a business or if you have a business, look at the risk factor. See if it even requires you to be an LLC. It kills me when people start their business like they haven't even seen if they're product or service is feasible on the market so they don't even know if it's going to work and they're like oh I need to get an LLC (laughs) and I'm like wait you didn't even like there's no proof of concept here you didn't even see if you're even going to make money doing this and keep in mind when you are incorporated as an LLC you have to pay fees every year so if you're not making money and you're automatically going to be paying fees every year You already are starting off in a negative. I know that's just my two cents on that.
0: Look at the people in California. I know a lot of people in California get LLCs and they don't realize California requires $800 every year, whether you make a profit or not, whether you make 10 cents or not, that you have to pay. What is the FSB out there? And for a lot of people, it's a shocker. It's a shocker
1: i just like to say <clears throat> the Rich Dad, Poor Dad uh, series definitely promotes this. I did their advanced training. Actually, I did their three-day seminar before I did their advanced training. And the whole thing was like, get an LLC or get an LLC and have it taxed as an S-Corp. And, and following that advice was a very expensive mistake for me not to have a business that required it. But that is information. That's, I think, a source for some of that misinformation that's being circulated. So even these uh, big brands associated with large influencers can promote uh, incomplete information.
4: So I'm similar to Tiffany. I ran my business for years. No LSE. And like she said, I was able to do everything. I still got partnerships. I'm still able to conduct business, have a business bank account and everything without needing it. It's not a necessity. I feel like a lot of people jump into it because of lack of information and they think that that's something they need to move forward. But essentially, it's, it's a it's a myth, just like buying a whole bunch of business cards and having to have a logo and everything before you even start your business. And before you have something that you know will actually generate revenue, you essentially just wasting money when it should be being spent on income generating activities.
5: How do y'all feel about the owner of the Slutty Vegan buying all them kids uh, LLCs? I hate it. And it's a video
0: floating around out right now where the DS2 guys on a podcast debating it, and it's pure trash. I plan on doing a review on it at some point. I will say this. I think Slutty
7: Vegan Pinky Cole is a marketing genius. I really felt that that move was
0: more for the financial institution that was backing all of that. But I thought it was really bad
2: for the class that she allegedly gifted it to. Yeah, because when you think about something like that, right, because we just went over how every year they're going to have to pay for the LLC, like who's going to be paying that fee every year? And depending where they live or where it's incorporated like you said california is 800 i know here in north carolina it's like 125 or something like that so depending on where you live or where it's incorporated the fee could be different and who's supposed to be footing that bill like what if they decide oh entrepreneurship or having a business is not for me or they want to do it a different way maybe they want to be a sole proprietor instead of an llc now they have this llc that's just sitting out there until they close it out now Don't get me wrong, you can go ahead and close out LLCs too. It's not like you're stuck with it forever, but that would be like my first thought is who's going to keep this fee up every year and reporting? Because a lot of people don't realize when you have an LLC, you also have to do reporting every year. That's something that you don't have to do with a sole proprietorship. You do have to do your taxes, of course, but you don't have to do separate reporting. I know in North Carolina, you do with an LLC.
4: And who's going to let them
2: know I'm sorry, I was going to say who's going to let them know they have to close it out?
4: Nobody's there to give them the actual education with it.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And what were you saying, Kamari? No, no, no.
0: I agree with uh, Nia and you, Tiffany. Nobody's going to do that. A lot of states have requirements. Um, A lot of states, you said North Carolina was 125. Maryland's 300. New York, I think, is five or 800. Massachusetts is, I think, five or 800 on the top. It comes with a lot of responsibility. And as y'all said, you can be a sole proprietorship, by the way. A solo member LLC is looked at as a sole proprietorship. So, again, you're just paying extra money to whether it's LegalZoom or Inc. File or whoever is doing this when you can be using that money for marketing or whatever whatever, to get you to some actual revenue to uh, improve your situation. But sadly, we like to be sold to. I'm starting to believe we like to be sold to because we don't want to do the education and everybody's looking for a lottery ticket. And so we all want this mythical unicorn existence to find, to get these rich lottery tickets so we don't have to work anymore. I guess we're just going to have this same cycle go on and on again.
2: Now, you brought up another good point about the legal zoom and stuff because I do small business consulting too, and usually helping black and brown business owners. Get up and running and all that stuff and that's another misconception <laughs> you do not have to go to legal zoom to file an llc matter of fact i know in north carolina it's just one form it's very very easy and mo- you can usually do it yourself like even if you had questions you still usually don't have to pay somebody to do it and that's another thing speaking of being sold to a lot of people are trying to get over on people to file LLC paperwork. Like I had one guy, we were chatting or whatever. And he was like, yeah, I just paid this guy like 300 something dollars to do my LLC. And I was like, well, in North Carolina, it's only like $125. And it's only one sheet of paper. And it's only like maybe five questions. Like, it's really not hard at all. And he was like, what? He was just shocked that it was so cheap and so easy. And I was like, but see, this is what happens when you don't educate yourself ahead of time. And then you just trust people to do the right thing. Unfortunately, not everybody's going to do the right thing. Uh, so that's another hustle that people got going on, filling out LLC paperwork, filling out the whole COVID relief. I saw somebody on my Facebook the other day and she's uh, doing a, uh, what is it called? Student Loan Forgiveness Applications. And I'm like, that's probably not even that difficult either. The other not the the public service one, not the widespread ones. that one's not available yet. But the public service one. And she's like, Oh, hit me up if you need help with the paperwork. And I'm like, people probably haven't even gone to just look at it. And really, if you need help, your servicer can probably help you. I don't know. I just always tell people to do your research before you pay somebody to do something. Sorry,
6: sorry, Kamari. Tiffany, let me ask you this, because this is something that I'm seeing to be a little bit more widespread in terms of people not wanting to take the initiative to do the research on their own and then to do the work themselves to save money. So they'd rather go to somebody who's saying, oh, I can fill out this application for you. I can file your LLC. I can do this or that. They'd rather pay somebody money for the convenience of not having to worry about trying to submit the paperwork versus doing the research themselves. And I'm also seeing this not only with like, you see this a little bit with the millennial demographic, but you see this a lot with the Gen Z demographic where they would rather have somebody do the research for them and do it for them versus doing it themselves. Like,
2: what do you think about that? Now, here's the thing. I don't mind farming stuff out, okay? I'm a firm believer in farming stuff out. If you do not want to do it, but at the same time, I believe in educating yourself at least the basics about what you're paying for. Because like I said, that guy, he didn't even know how much it cost for the LLC in North Carolina. So the guy could have told him 500 He could have told him anything and he would have fell for it. And it's unnecessary. So... My thing is, even if you are going to farm something out, at least know the basics around it so that way people can't get over on you. Like, that's my biggest thing because I love farming stuff out. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of stuff that Tiffany does not like to do, and I will find somebody to do it for me, but I will also let you know I know the basics of whatever I'm farming out because a lot of times if there's a knowledge gap there, it's not an equal playing field anymore. And so that's just my belief just at least know the basics even if you don't want to get into the weeds
0: and I would say it's not just uh, Gen Z and millennials who want to outsource everything Gen Xers do this baby boomers have done this a lot the whole rich dad craze started with boomers and Gen Xers and they were paying folks to do LLCs and uh, corporations like crazy and actually I've been asked to do a lot of formation docs I probably missed out on a million bucks doing it just because I don't want to be bothered with it but yeah, I I think a lot of people won't do it like Tiffany said people need to know the basics and understand why they're doing it before they can outsource it but again I don't know if folks really want to do the work I feel like there's a it's too it's it's twofold. Some people are scamming, and some people are just lazy. And in the middle is a whole cluster.
1: So I, I so. want <clears throat> to. I think Melody has a really good point about the demographic, though, because that behavior that we're talking about, like the farming out, is is also influ- influenced by culture. So we're talking about buying back our time, like you see. Uh, The Great Resignation, like people are people are wanting to put less of a focus on the quote unquote hard parts of life and more focus on like wellness and self-care and all of those things as they are trendy. So I think when we look at how people are opening themselves up to be taken advantage of, that it may not necessarily just be from a place of laziness or from a place of being scammed. It could be that they're so influenced by this thought process around, well, if I don't have the knowledge to do this, I'll pay somebody else who does, combined with how social media marketing equals credibility. So if you have the pretty page and all the followers and et cetera, et cetera, well, you must be legit because your stuff looks so perfect. I think that combination is more realistic in that people, and, and I'm not saying that there aren't lazy people and that there aren't people who are out here scamming, but I think culturally today, it's a lot easier to justify not doing that research because to Tiffany's point, you're farming out that part of the process too.
0: And I guess I will say, and I'm not trying to but I hear a lot of people say millennials and Gen Zers do this and do that but Rockham, everything you just mentioned has been done before. Now, yes, we have more influencers now, we have more social media now, but uh, I just looked it up, was started in 2001, right? They've been doing this for a while, television and movies and, and superstars and celebrities of those eras were kind of the same thing. Yes, it's more sped up now, and yes, we might be able to see it more now because we have social media, but people were doing the same dumb stuff back then.
5: So this is kind of my wheelhouse because I own, operate a business that literally only thrives because people feel like they just don't have the time or the knowledge to do what I do. And so speaking from experience, while there is a culture of buying back your time and I a thousand percent have clients who could do this themselves, have the knowledge to do this themselves and just choose not to because they are at a place where they can afford to pay someone else to do it. The majority of my clients are people who are too lazy to do the work and think that by throwing money at the problem, it'll just provide a solution. They don't want to, to learn. They don't want, and I can only speak for the finance space. For those of you who don't know, I own, operate a credit repair company. The literal only reason that that portion of my business makes money is because people don't want to do the work. Really simple, easy work. I literally give the the keys for free on all of my platforms and people will still not connect those dots to do this themselves. And the majority of those people are people who just are lazy. I can a thousand percent say it. Like they, a lot of them are under the misconception that, well, if I just throw money at the problem, then that throws off the responsibility. So if I'm paying someone to fix this for me and it's not fixed, it's their fault, not my fault. For them, it's escapism. This is a way of them absolving themselves of the responsibility of doing this, of of actually seeing the result and putting in the work. And I also think for certain things, not for everything, let me tell y'all, I'm all about my soft life. Like for certain things, I feel like that cheapens that experience and you don't learn that lesson. I'm not saying this for the people who have like, uh, like people who come clean a house or who come walk their dog or stuff like that because the soft life is in that is really big in social media right now. But there are a lot of instances where people just refuse to learn. It's like they don't have to acknowledge it if they can just hire somebody else to fix this problem for them.
2: And we can go to Nia, because she had her hand up first. So I
4: wanna echo Marquia because same thing. I provide a lot of information on YouTube and my group. I'm really big on providing education. And I agree. I've had free things that they won't sign up for, but they'll happily pay me to teach them. So I completely agree with you, Marquia. That's very true. I think part of it, too, is the fear. And when you don't know something, you're scared of it. So you feel like, oh, this person knows how to do it. Let me let them do it. And then it's the instant gratification that they feel like it's going to take a while for me to do it. And they're just not okay with that delayed gratification.
2: Yes, I completely agree there. And Melody?
6: Yeah, so I will piggyback off of Rakim. And Kamari, I definitely don't feel like you're picking on me. I know that there are lazy people throughout all the demographics from, from Gen Z all the way to boomers. But one of the things that I have noticed, because I am a financial empowerment coach, and like Marquia and Nia, I do offer things for people, but they would rather... Pay for somebody to like create a budget for them, then learn how to budget, or they would rather pay for somebody to just do something for them, then learn how to do it themselves. And one of the things that I realized is that with Gen Z, we had some interns that came in, and they were Gen Z. They actively admitted that they are just lazy. They were like, "We really don't want to do the work. We would rather just have somebody do the work for us." And when I was at the Financial Health Network conference about two weeks ago, they were talking about how Gen Z interacts with personal finance and financial literacy. And they said most Gen Z, they don't really do the research. They just go by word of mouth or what somebody tells them to do. And so I think that kind of coincides with not just that demographic looking for somebody to do it for them or for an easy way out or buying back their time or this quote unquote soft life. It really is about them. It's, it's more what can be the most convenient in my life right now where I really don't have to put that much thought into it so I can move on to the next thing. And I think that's what we're really seeing with the Gen Z demographic around just taking ownership of different things and doing it themselves.
2: Yes, I will say, because, I'm a financial counselor and I get some of everybody and I will say some people have even said to me, Tiffany, can you just take my paycheck and pay all my bills and just give me a stipend? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, wow, no, I'm not going to yeah,
6: do that." 100% have seen that.
2: Yeah, definitely not going to do that. Oh. Because first of all, like Marquia was saying, or Nia, one of y'all, that softens the experience. Like you need to go through this in order to learn what's going on with your money. Because my thing is i rather teach people how to fish than do it for them. So that way, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, they can still move on with their life and they can still figure things out. Now, if I'm sitting there hand-holding and doing everything for you, you're not going to learn. And so that's why, like, for instance, with my practice, I walk people through everything. So, like, the person that came to me about the LLC... I'm like, look, let's do this together so you can see how this works. Or when somebody wants to set up a nonprofit or something, I'm like, okay, let's go do this paperwork together so you can see how it works. That way, next time you don't need me. And also, if somebody in your circle needs help with this stuff, you can help them. So I feel like it's more impactful if we teach them these things. And like all of us up here, we are teaching these things, but- I think it's more impactful than just doing it for them. So anyway, we have been on this myth for like 30 minutes. So let's switch over to another one. What is another financial myth that is going around? So we hit on LLCs. What else is there?
6: So I want to bring up a financial myth, it's, 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 a, it's a collection of financial myths that I'm seeing not really around like, LLCs or investing, we know that there are a lot of myths out there concerning those things. But a lot of the foundational financial tenets, I'm seeing a lot of people have misconceptions or myths around the other day, somebody came to me and they were like, I'm really trying to work with my sister, because she keeps telling me that she has to open a checking account in order to keep her credit score high. I was really complex when they told me that. but Obviously, this is something that's going around where people think that credit scores are tied to checking accounts. And another misconception I'm seeing out there regarding credit is that somebody was saying, I use my credit card, but I don't pay it all the way off because I don't want to be dinged for not utilizing my credit card. But they're not realizing that if you use your credit card and pay it off, you're still going to get, I guess, points, quote unquote, for credit utilization. But that has nothing to do with you paying it off. So I'm seeing a lot of misconceptions around those basic, like, I guess, basic foundational tenets of personal finances and not really like the bigger ones with investing in credit, not I guess credit, but like the in-home ownership that we see in other areas.
2: Yeah, definitely have heard the second one. I've never heard the first one, though. So that's good awareness for me. I had never heard anybody say that. I feel like I don't remember who came up first.
1: So it was Wade, then John, And then Mark Okay.
2: So go ahead, Wade.
8: Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Great space, as always. On a good Monday. Uh, One of the biggest... I'm in the financial advisor space, too, in New York Life. But one of the biggest... Money myths we hear is that you're bad with money, right? Like you're not bad with money, you just haven't learned it yet. Like you're not born learning how to drive a car, you're not born learning how to play uh, a violin or play basketball. You might have talent and stuff, but at some point you still had to learn. Even if you're talented, you had to learn, right? So I think people put that that type of self uh fulfilling prophecy talk like oh i'm bad with money and i have clients i'm like low stop saying that you're not bad you just haven't learned about it yet yet i always put yet at the end of that because when you say yet it makes it more real and you know that you will get to wherever you're trying to go so that's probably the biggest myth with money is that you're not bad with money you're not born bad or good you just don't know about it at the
2: that's a good one. That's a good one. And we we always have to, me and Rakim, we always nerd out on this, but you always have to watch yourself talk too. Like how you talk to yourself. Like if you tell yourself, oh, I'm not good with money. Oh, I'll never be out of debt or I'll never do this or I can't do this. Then guess what? It's never going to happen. You kind of have to, that's the whole mindset thing, but that's not what we're here for tonight. Uh, Jonathan, go ahead. <laughs>
3: No, I I get you. To Melody's point, she brought up some great points on the foundational. What I would add in there is you must wait until the due date of your credit card payment to actually make the payment, how it's going to affect your score even more. Uh, And Melody kind of alluded to it, but it's really just the understanding of how your credit score is calculated. The second thing I would add to the conversation is working in financial services, working in the bank, retail bank, running, running all those centers. It was very apparent that people valued credit and the access to credit in their credit score more than tangible, having tangible money in their account. All the, and I, I just, uh, I think way you said you was a financial uh, advisor. I, I don't know how often you've seen, just kind of that disparity from those with assets or people not fully understanding that money in your account, investments, money that you can go put your hands on is way more valuable in our economic system where people want from you, than credit. Even if you don't have a credit score, if you got the money, you can always get it. And I guess you might not always get a deal, that type of thing, but in this, more uh tense uh time of the economy inflation's high budgets are a whole lot tighter uh i often tell people i'm like hey if cash was so bad people wouldn't be trying to get their hands on some in rough times if it's good if it's more of a prosperous time that type of thing that's great everything's good but when it's bad what are people clinging to in the form of investments, in the form of currency, in the form of all those different things uh, in order to get uh, get themselves ahead? And that will tell you what is most valuable or what you should go after first. All
2: right. And I think you might have said a misconception there, but I'm going to go to Markeia because she had her hand raised yet first. So I kind of wanted to touch on what
5: Jonathan said a little bit. So I think that's also because of the perpetuation of, I call it LLC Twitter, right, or the hustle culture. They got people so obsessed with OPM, other people's money, right, that they're not thinking about their cash flow or how much money they have that's liquid. All they hear is that you can make all these big major purchases and you can do this, 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 this with other people's money. So then that's kind of where all the make an LLC and build business credit or get all this credit. You see the people on social media with the stacks of credit cards talking about this can be you. You get what I'm saying? So I feel like that was that's one of those things that was perpetuated by hustle culture or, or, or on why people are so obsessed with credit. But for me specifically, so I'm a influencer specifically for TikTok. One of the biggest things that I see is that like I even have a whole playlist dedicated to this. Is when other financial quote unquote educators or professionals get on social media and perpetuate information that they saw just because it got a lot of likes. For example, I'm a, I'm, I specialize in credit literacy, so that's like, that's my shit. And so, multiple, all you see if you say, if you search hashtag FCRA on TikTok, all you see is, well, the FCRA, Congress passed the FCRA Act, which means you don't have to pay these items back. And I swear, video after video after video, it's the same person. But not one of these people can even tell you what's in the FCRA. They can't even tell you what other acts are, are included in the FCRA, like the FCBA, facta. They can't explain why you only get one free credit report a year uh, pre-COVID through the FCRA. Like, they can't even tell you stuff like that. But this also kind of goes back to how are people able to be scammed so much? It's because you see something so many times, you think to yourself, the only way I can keep seeing is this If this is real, right? If this wasn't real, they would have took it down. If this wasn't real, XYZ, if this wasn't real, because a lot of people have a hard time facing the truth. And so it's a lot easier to believe a lie, because it's along the line. A lot of people don't want to pay this shit. So it's easier for them to believe that, oh, I don't have to pay it, tell me more. You get what I'm saying? A lot of times, it's not the fact that these people don't know, they don't want to know. Ignorance is bliss when it comes to finances. And I've saw that a lot from once I started doing like workshops and one on ones People want to be left in the dark because to open their eyes to certain things mean that they have to acknowledge their part in why they are where they are. Because at some point, not knowing is no longer an excuse. At some point, you realize I don't know something. So maybe I should learn. And they choose not to. They choose to remain ignorant. They choose to keep doing the same thing that they've been doing out of a comfortability. And so it's like a lot of these myths, and just the last thing, I swear I'm getting off, but I did, we did a live talking about how a lot of these myths evolve or aren't really myths. A lot of them are things that our ancestors or whoever came before us used to survive. And I say the same thing about generational curses, how a lot of times these generational curses were not meant to curse our, our lineage, right? These were things that we did to survive, and it, it got us through then. But as the economy shifts and as things change, culture change and things like that, it makes it so that our lifestyle has to change and the decisions that we're making has to change. But we're so stagnant because we're so comfortable. And so I think that's where a lot of these myths are born out of. That ignorance that came from remaining comfortable for so long that you kind of, like the Greeks, they made up their own stories to justify the things that happened. So I really think that's where a lot of these myths come from. It's not necessarily a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of a willingness to want to know more at a certain point. And we have to start holding some of these people and even ourselves accountable at this point for the things that we don't want to look at or don't want to learn or don't want to acknowledge.
2: Yes, I completely agree there. I just wanted to go back real quick to the paying your bill on the due date. I know when I was building my credit, I did not have to do that. So what I would do is uh, like get something like gas, something small, like thirty dollars or so, and then pay it off because I was terrified of credit. I didn't want to wait till due date, and I still saw the gains in my credit score. So. I'm not sure about that part because I have never done that, but I still saw gains in my credit score. Uh but Rakim, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I think I think what you're responding to is something that Jonathan said. And I think what he was saying was that it's a myth that you actually have to wait that long. Not that you have to wait that long. But uh there was a lot of, there was a lot said that I wanted to speak on and I was just kind of trying to find a common thread between all of the different topics. And I just want to start with Tiffany's statement around self-talk, right? Because we do always nerd out about that. And that's something that's really big for me as I dive deeper into the psychology side of finance is that the, the, they're referred to as money stories. The stories that we tell ourselves about money as we're growing up and even that we maintain are hugely influential in how we react to concepts relating to money right so if to markia's point right if somebody is quote unquote lazy or they just don't want to do the work required it could be that money gives them anxiety and so now we're saying that there is financial anxiety out there and so what is the reason why money is giving them anxiety i think Everything that Mar said was spot on, and I appreciate the enthusiasm and the energy behind it, but I think that I'm going to come in with a maybe a softer alternative in that yes, people should be held accountable for the things that they do or don't do, but many people don't realize the influence of the money stories that they tell themselves or the trauma that they've navigated financially on these decisions or indecisions and so the common trauma responses to, to, to this pressure is usually don't do anything at all. Like just try to pretend that it doesn't exist, which puts them in a frame where they can say, Oh, somebody's providing this solution for the low or even not for the low. Right. And so you're looking at that again, that concept of laziness versus just not wanting to do, I mean, not, not wanting to do it. I forgot what the alternative was. And then you have people who will run to it, who will take action. And I think not a bad thing, but maybe a lot of the people who end up becoming entrepreneurs or who are providing these services, um, who are subscribing to LLC Twitter rhetoric, are people who are trying to run towards it. And that could be a trauma response, too. But it's, it's just interesting to see how these parallels start to show up when we discuss like the impact of these decisions happening or yeah, pretty much that.
2: Gotcha. And then I think Kamari was next.
1: Yeah, so I was wanna say a lot of the
0: a lot of the myths, a lot of the shenanigans have been created by some corporations. I'm really big about root cause analysis. When we look at credit cards and credit card myths, credit cards basically have hijacked the whole term of financial literacy and kind of used it for their own little project to kind of keep themselves clean. And when you go, and one way to show this, so their marketing has worked so well, there's been a constant meme going for like the last couple of years. Would you rather have $100,000 in cash or an 850 credit score? And the amount of people that get up in arms about that meme is hilarious. Any one of us can post that today and we'll get instant traction. And the amount of people that I see that picked 850 credit score is astonishing because a lot of the people I know <laughs> ain't ever touched 100,000, not even close to 100,000. And going back to what Jonathan said, cash is is a rarefied thing, and you should want to work to get your cash. But it, it's a lot of times we have other outside forces that are helping to create
2: these paradigms. Really quick, if you look at that example, for instance, the 850 credit score, okay, let's say everybody in this room gets an 850 credit score, okay? Now, what are you going to do with it, first of all? And then also, are you just going to be right back to where you are and... Maybe a few months. You know? My thing is I always take the cash with those things. I always take the cash and I wish they were real because I would love somebody to give me 100000 today. I can make it do a lot. But yeah, there's no point in having a, first of all, 850 credit score is kind of overkill. I'm just being real. But having that credit score and not knowing the basics, you're just going to end up back to where you were eventually. But anyway, Jonathan, go ahead.
3: Uh, no, nah, you're right, uh, sis, or worse, because <laughs> you just got access to a lot of credit that you couldn't make the payments on. The biggest one that, at least for me, that is this idea of wealth, and personally speaking, I know, Raquel, I will say I'm in the money story uh, mindset. It's just I'm still in that, I would say, development stage, if I'm personally speaking. But the reason why I said that is wealth and identifying what wealth is when you go from, oh, wealth is a million dollars to, oh, actually wealth is, hey, your, your necessities, the life that you want to live is paid for by assets. That doesn't necessarily mean you have a million dollars. And wealth, by what people think wealth actually is, who actually has one positive of this social media age and all these different podcasts, is that you find out how unwealthy the people you think have wealth And the most obvious example is like the huge celebrities from everything from the talk to NBA players, uh, obviously LeBron excluded, but what's the norm? And the norm is these folks don't actually have money and they're actually living paycheck to paycheck. They just have very, very, very high incomes. Uh, But the myth was what is actual wealth and what does that look like? Uh, And the idea that the people who are wealthy you wouldn't necessarily be able to pick them out on the street.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. I feel like, and I think we went over like what wealth means to us. I think it was a question that Renita had asked in one of the previous things. But I feel like as a community in particular, because this is a space for Black Money Talk, I think we put too much emphasis. And when I say we, I'm, I'm over generalizing, So don't come for me. I think we put over emphasis on the things that we have, the physical things, and not enough on actually building wealth and what that really looks like. And I'm talking about the money side, because I know we got real philosophical last time we talked about this. But just looking at the money side, I think we put more emphasis on maybe what we couldn't have when we were younger or what we never saw growing up or what we see society giving us as far as celebrities and things like that, not thinking past, okay, these people probably got this stuff for free, or it's rented or other brand partnerships or whatever, not thinking that far. And that's exactly what they want us to do. So that way, the people that actually really don't have it go out and get those things. So I think just as a community, we put too much emphasis on things, the best car, the best house the best shoes the best clothes and there's nothing wrong with treating yourself if you have it but let's talk about building wealth first real wealth that's going to stick around for a while so anyway
5: Marquia. So it's so funny. So today, like that, and this is why I was late today, I was testing out my slides for my presentation tomorrow, and it's an international audience. And so their biggest thing was like, we don't want you talking about things that are like unique to America. And so we delved a little deeper into like, the behaviors that lead to certain financial outcomes. And one of the things that I talked about on one of the slides that I got the most questions on afterwards was money scripts. We were talking about the four different types of money scripts that kind of are developed outside of like as a kid, like when Rakim talks about like financial trauma and all the things that you've been through all kind of culminate into these four scripts. There's money avoidance, money worship, money status and money vigilance and money status is. The first thing that jumped into mind when you were talking about that people who equate their self worth with their net worth or the uh like I- items that they have and a lot of people talking about the keep up with the joneses mentality right and like yeah i get it or like i uh, I, and I actually did a TikTok on this talking about how i hate when people be like but you got jordans but you can't pay your rent like those are two different things that i really hope that we are making distinction when we talk about because I wasn't gonna be able to afford my rent, whether I bought them fucking Jordans or not, but I'm gonna buy them fucking Jordans because bitch, I'm gonna look fresh on the bus stop. But that's a whole nother story. That's all about prioritizing what I feel is important to me. And though it's not, it may not be important to you, to me it makes me feel good. And if I'm gonna be broke, I'm not about to be broke and miserable. But the people who buy like the Rolls Royce's and I I didn't want a Chrysler that looked like a phantom. I want the phantom, but then you don't have no food in your fridge. You feel what I'm saying? Those people are tying their their value, their self-worth, and their identity to the items that they own. And that is indicative of a deeper problem that honestly has nothing to do with money and everything to do with how they view themselves and how they view themselves as influencing how they handle their money. And I also think that's a distinction that we have to make because the money isn't always the problem and i tell people all the time and we talk about i'm a huge gun advocate and so we have these conversations a lot and but i also use the same example with a credit card a credit card sitting on the table ain't gonna bother nobody if i put my wallet on the table it ain't gonna hurt ain't gonna do shit but when i am making decisions with this money knowing that i'm not healed knowing that i have issues that i decided not to face that is where the problem comes into. And so it's very important, I think, that us as content creators, we also highlight that part too. Because I can teach you the game all day. I can tell you how to make a budget. I can tell you how to do this, that, the third. But if you didn't heal all that other shit, you ain't gonna do nothing but everything I just said, you're just gonna go in one and out the other because you're not gonna put it into action.
9: First off, hey everybody. Um nice to be here. And I'm outside, so I'm walking in somewhere kind of centralist Florida, so you know, Florida. They can be a little interesting. So if something goes down, y'all call y'all call nine one one for your boy near, uh, like Saint Petersburg slash Bradenton, Florida. If if y'all need to know where where to call, uh, I was just listening to the people who uh, were sharing once I was able to get on, and I think they uh, a financial kind of myth, and and I think it was just. It was something that I realized just in working with a lot of different people as well as it was something that I internalized myself until I started getting a little older and just kind of seeing how things worked. But just kind of this idea of understanding that you you can't merely budget your way to wealth. So while having a spending plan or monthly budget, or or literally whatever different names you want to call it, it's important. It helps you know how much money you're allocating and where. Ultimately, you need to be able to generate a meaningful amount of money beyond whatever is a a little wage for you to truly be able to build wealth. And, like, if, if
2: you I think we're be
9: able to budget your way there, or, like, well,
2: Hey, Stephen, you're breaking up really not bad. Not
9: much on, hey, you need to. So I'm is that better?
2: Yeah. Hey, Stephen, you are breaking am I still, up still?
9: Really- am I breaking up still really bad?
2: It sounds clear now, but we didn't hear half of what you said.
9: <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. I, I just started walking down the street, uh, just going, my bad. So,
3: okay, yeah. uh,
9: recap quickly is just saying, if you don't make a livable wage, it does not matter how you allocate your money. You're not going to be able to build wealth because you're not making enough. And there's a lot of emphasis on people's spend And I don't think we put enough on building your income. Because if we're just focusing on the budgeting end, sometimes that can put you in a more uh, scarce mentality instead of, hey, how can I generate more to be in a better space, to really be able to build sizable, sustainable wealth over time. So that's just something that I see is a a lot of focus on budgeting or cutting. And oftentimes when I'm speaking with clients, I will, will tell them there is, there is a limit to how much you can cut. Like the, the best case scenario is everything in your life is free, but guess what? That's only zero. You still have to actually make money to be able to build wealth and that's the part that there is less of a cap to. So that, that, that hopefully that summed it up pretty well. That's really where I was trying to go with that.
2: Yes. And I'm so glad that you restated that because that is so important because don't get me wrong. I'm the frugal queen. I like to save money. I do not like to spend money, but like you said, there's but so low. You can go. Okay. <laughs> Oh, go ahead.
9: No, I'm just agreeing with you. Correct. Correct. There's only so low you can go. The It's only free.
2: Exactly. And I was going to say there's certain in- influencers out there. I'm not going to say their names because then we might go on a, on a whole other tangent that say beans and rice, rice and beans. But at the end of the day, <laughs> even if you go that low, if you don't have income, there's still no way to build wealth and make money. I love what you said there. Uh, I want to go over to Nia because she's had her hand raised for a while.
1: Real quick, before you jump, we're at the two minute mark. So if we're extending this, I'm just putting it out there. We are approaching an hour and two minutes.
2: (laughs) Thank you, timekeeper.
1: Because you will be up here for the next three hours. <laughs> we know.
3: No, ever- we we got to be truthful. We got to have some integrity about that.
2: <laughs> Rock
0: him as a parliamentarian. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm like, will an hour really do it? Now, I know we're not going to do two and a half hours, but we can keep the conversation going a little
1: bit. Right. So, we'll, so, we'll, so we'll give out another half hour. <laughs> <laughs> 10 Max. Max. 10
4: Max. <laughs> He's going to be like, Nine. they commercial used to have for the cell phones where they had the minute manager that blew the horn. <laughs> I'm <laughs> right.
1: Gonna, I'm going to was- whoever's talking and we're gonna end the whole <laughs> right right it just cut off
2: <laughs> I was like luckily he don't have the five minute warning one minute but alright Nia go ahead Since we okay, gotta- I'll, I'll be call. brief no.
4: <laughs> I'll be brief but I really just wanted to kind of agree kind of with what Marquia and Stephen were saying I agree about <laughs> I'm sorry just the, the mentality behind the money habits. I teach my clients all the time the same thing. A lot of times money habits can be relational. They get them from their family and how they saw people in their family spend money. And I agree about the other. I hate when I see different financial gurus giving cookie cutter solutions for everybody. I think that's where Stephen sees that happen all the time where they're just focusing on budget spending, budget spending, uh, budget spending and budgeting, but not really focusing on what created those financial habits or getting down to the root of those habits. So a lot of my students, I have to work through different type of financial insecurities or working through, like I spoke with Rakim and Marquia at FinCon about me myself having to work through financial scarcity. Growing up without And I determined I wasn't going to be without again. So I would spend money that I did need to spend. And I see that a lot. I see that money hoarders, that might be another money script for you, Marquia, people who start to hoard money because they grew up without and they just hoard it. They don't save it. They don't invest it, which is just as bad. So essentially, I feel like all of the different things come together, but it all goes back to a root from somewhere. And unless you attack that root, touch it, look at it, hold it up in the mirror, you're essentially never going to resolve your money problems and never going to actually level up. Okay, I'm as quick as I can be.
7: <laughs> Thank you.
2: <laughs> all right. And Renita?
7: hey guys I'm gonna be really quick first off shout out to Nia who's having a book signing on Thursday in Chicago if you're in town pull up <laughs> but secondly and uh, lastly, I think that this is all a reason why financial coaches need to partner with or become life coaches as well because not only is it important that you know you make more money and that you get rid of all those limiting beliefs but like fam. You got to make sure that you're in a career that allows you to even make your money goals. And if you're not, and if anybody is in this on this earth, whatever, one stream of income is too close to none. So that's what um, I've been telling a lot of my colleagues lately. A lot of us are at a crossroads in our careers where we're like, well, what's going on? We don't really know if we love this industry as much as we did when we started or if it's giving us the life that we want. And so that's just my bid for making financial coaches partner with life coaches and, and just to be able to wrap everything together too. That's it.
2: Perfect. Yes. Thank you. And Rakim.
1: So I love uh, Renita's point about the life coaches and the financial coaches and I'm just going to take this opportunity again to plug this emerging concept around financial psychology. And so I will go I will go further to say that strictly financial professionals should have some foundation in, in financial psychology and just understanding the why behind the decisions that people make, even if they're not providing the therapy. But also coming off of uh, this conference that I was at, uh, last week, the whole debate around who can consider themselves a financial therapist, and so when looking at a point like the one Renita made, where this person is a life coach and a financial coach, they still they they have barely two feet in in the door when it comes to understanding how to address those traumas, like from a psychological perspective or maybe from a financial perspective and so there was points made that there should be some kind of yardstick to determine like what makes you capable to address this topic and i think a financial coach partnering with a life coach would be potentially dangerous when it comes to addressing like the psychology of why people are making these decisions
2: hmm i have some so comments I have them. Oh. I wanted to get to Mika because she had a hand raised really quick and then we'll come to you, Kamari, and then I'll say my comment.
4: Hey, everyone. I just wanted to add one comment to what Rockin said about like the financial planning and understanding behavioral psychology is I did hear a statistic saying that most financial plans that are created for people don't actually get implemented. So I think there's a lot of basis for financial professionals learning that side so that when they're working with people, they know how to
7: understand how they think so that they can help them implement plans that work for them and align with their values.
0: So I had a question, I guess, for Renita and Raquel. I actually hate life coaches because everybody's a freaking life coach. And I don't know who to trust because I see some 22-year-old kid Saying he's a life coach and has never done anything. And obviously, there are life coaches that are good, but like, where's the trusted resource to actually go to and say, hey, these people are really good?
7: I don't have an answer for that, but what I do have, I offer you this instead of that. <laughs> when I think about partnering with maybe life coaches, I get what everybody is, I get what Rakim, totally get what Rakim said, and I totally get. What you say as well, Kamari, what I was talking about and what didn't really come all the way out of my head is that sometimes people get into careers that don't pay them (laughs) to be able to afford their lifestyles now or the kind of lifestyles they desire. So what they need is somebody to help them understand what it is that I'm put on this earth to do. Or what it is that I can do well, that I already do well, that people can pay me for. That's really when I have this conversation about this specific thing. That's really what I mean when I say that. But I kind of, I kind of get you on that. <laughs> Who, who's qualified as a life coach, and how do you choose one? I don't know. I don't have a life coach. I have other coaches, uh, but not a, not a life coach. That's a good question. <laughs>
0: As I was going to say earlier, like, I really love Steve's comment because I do think income and skills
7: should really be the base of, basis of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Too many people are
0: in the latte Nazi, is, is what I like to call them. And that's really not the root of the issue. The root of the issue a lot of times, as Markeia talked about, is mental health, or Rakim also talked about it. Some of these mental health issues many of us had, they're undiagnosed. And a lot of us don't have skills that will pay us above a living wage. Mm. Now, the funny thing about it is, is to get to those skills is probably the easiest time I've ever been to get to them now. And I don't understand why more and more are not getting to it. Well, I do understand because there is some type of mental, emotional, spiritual blockage, but the, the, the channels are there, they're open to go after. And I do think we need to talk more about getting your skills up because as whoever said it, you
2: can't make zero and expect to have wealth in some way, shape, form or fashion. Yeah. I just wanted to, Kamari, are you talking about ageism now? Saying a 26 year old doesn't have the experience.
0: Well, well, I said 20, I said 22.
2: Right, what have I'm you done? I was working on my second
5: 22. marriage at 22, so like some of us have lived listen, a life. <laughs> listen, Marquia, you're special, right?
0: You was a whole secret agent out there, spy games, the whole wow. nine, and walked away from it. So you special. But seriously, like there are people out here running around saying, "Follow me, I'm a life coach. I made millions of dollars following along with the rest of the social media gurus." I know I have a special place in my heart for the liars amongst us, and they're not really doing us as a community any good. So it's it's a, it's a dangerous place, as Rockham said. And Renita, I got what you were saying. It was like a lot of us are stuck in dead end jobs, and we don't have the skills, the courage, the support system to go out and do other things. I get that as well, but I'm just like, where to go? where should we go
2: now I'm gonna say maybe it's not a life coach she's referring to I think it's more a career coach because that's what I had <laughs> and a career co- coach was awesome and like now I kind of do that for other people in a way like I'm not doing resume rewrites and all that stuff but I'm helping them negotiate raises and I'm helping them get new jobs sitting in the in, area in, 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 in the interview and everything. So I think it's more of a career coach, uh, Renita might've meant to say, because I think that's more in line with what she's saying. And I wholeheartedly, and I think I've said this before, definitely recommend a career coach, regardless of what industry you are in, because there's always someone that knows more than you. And if there's someone that can, and, and it kind of falls into a mentor, right? So my career coach was my mentor. So, highly recommend getting a career coach in whatever industry you are in because their knowledge is invaluable. Like luckily the one that I had, she specialized in helping black women most navigate corporate America. And with her help, I was able to move up the, the corporate ladder. to like a step below VP in like less than three years. If I would have tried to do it myself, I wouldn't have known how to navigate the spaces as efficiently as I did when I was working with her. I think that might be what you were referring to.
7: I think so too. And I I apologize for uh, going out of order. I won't do anymore. But yeah, it's kind maybe like a cross between a career coach and maybe even a business coach, right? Because maybe what you want is to launch a business out of your unique skills and talents and abilities. At one point in my life, it was a career coach that I needed. But like This past year, this year, I got a career, a a business coach. And I think the reason why I say life coach is because, you know, when you're in college, you may or may not know what you want to do and you may or may not know if it will afford you the kind of life that you desire, but there needs to be some sort of intermediary to help you learn that and to connect it to your career and to give you the reality check you need to get into a situation that is actually going to give you what you want.
2: Yes, yes. Okay, let's go to Marquia. Let's get back on track. Marquia.
5: <laughs> so I want to touch on something Renita said that I think is really important. I really just want to echo it. And she was saying how having a only a job right now, that's not that only that one source of income that's not that's not where it's at. And and how the job that they wanted in the beginning is maybe they don't want it right now. And when I say I was one of those people who had their whole life figured out bro you could not tell me that I wasn't gonna be wearing them camis for the rest of my life like I had my entire life planned out since I was 16 all I ever wanted to do was in the military and as long as you could do push-ups sit-ups and run two miles like supposedly you could last 30 40 years doing it but I literally turned around one day and they patted me on my shoulder and handed me a flag like thank you for your service but we got it from here and I was shook it was the only thing I had ever planned to do with my life. I had I didn't go to college. I had skills that I developed in the military, but I once all that was happening, it was like do I even like do I even want to do this or was I only doing it because that was my life in the military? And so I really had to stop and evaluate, like, damn, well I had to scramble to make something shake. But I think that even if you have a secure job, it is really important for you guys to always have a plan B, plan C, plan D. And it's not because you're not putting your whole energy into plan A. It's because life got a real funny way of kicking you in your ass, like when you least expect it. And so having that contingency plan or constantly building those skills. Think about it like this. My grandmother, she used to work. She used to be the operator for a hospital in Baltimore. Like you would literally pick up the phone at dial zero and they would connect you to wherever you wanted to go. They literally do not exist anymore. They don't even, that whole department is gone. And all of the women who could not adapt with the technology and the changing times were out of jobs once the department was, was disbanded. And so it's important to, even if you're at your job, even if you're not ready to start that business now, make sure you're developing skills. Like Kamari said, we need to start developing skills that's going to get us that paper that's gonna get us that money that we can start that side hustle with. But it may just start with your nine to five. You may have to use that nine to five to fund that skill development or to fund that continuing education so that you can, you feel I'm saying, launch all these other businesses and stuff like that. But I really just wanted to echo that because I was somebody who was affected by that personally. And and it shook me to my core. It really took me, I'm not even gonna lie to y'all, it took me like two years to really shake back from the, the shock, Really, of just having my entire life just pulled from under me. My whole future was just gone in the blink of an eye and the shake of a piece of paper in my face. So I really just wanted to echo what Renita said.
2: And I just want to really quick agree with you. You will need that nine to five <laughs> to pour into your business. Like, it is like going that route sets you up more for success, in my opinion, versus just going out and trying to fly on your own, because at the end of the day, you have that cushion there, you have that steady income, because when you become a full-time entrepreneur, it is not easy, and at the end of the day, you there might be months where you don't make anything, and having that cushion there, especially when you first get started, is invaluable in my opinion, but I want to go to about that wallet.
10: Hey, everybody. My name's Anthony from About That Wallet, and I help people build strong financial habits. Thank you, Rakeem and Marquia, and I cannot find a lady for making sure that I do my intro. But I do, uh, one of the conversations that I had was talking about with Chuck from Chuck Jaffe from FinCon, and he was saying is that, How do we get people to go head on and jump into their passion and understanding instead of them switching gears throughout their education? Because for me, as I started off as an elementary educator, didn't switch to information technology was because it pays the bills. Even though I love teaching, but I had to make sure something paid the bills. And how do we, I guess, in a financial space, I don't expect us sign to this now, is how do we start building people from a young age or even the parents to kind of start helping us out with that conversation to jump into something that they really like and actually make the income that's needed so that they can enjoy life and still be prosperous at the same time so that's one of the things that i came across that's where my hand was up for that part it is good to be up here thank you all happy monday
4: So I wanted to touch on two myths also uh, that you all kind of just spoke on. And one of them is Tiffany just talked about it. The myth that you have to choose between, like they always say, your job is your bribe to forget your dreams. And it's like, no, my job is what funded my dreams. My job is what helped me start my business and be able to do what I do so that I wasn't borrowing money going into debt before I could verify that this was a solid business idea. And then the second one is how they talk about renting versus owning and forcing individuals into home ownership and entrepreneurship, basically financial situations that they may not be ready for, as opposed to them working on some of the work we've talked about today before taking on those. And not to mention, if everybody owned a house, who's going to be the tenants? There will be no tenants to rent from those who own if everybody bought a house and if everybody became an entrepreneur. So I feel like it goes back to what I said before with the cookie cutter solutions and just offering blanket advice.
2: Yes, completely agree. I, I didn't know y'all was waiting on me to. Usually y'all just be jumping in. But uh, yes, I completely agree, Nia. It's that's another one uh being a homeowner. And I tell people all the time it's hard out here for a Pimp. It's hard being a homeowner and it's not for everybody. And at the end of the day, is really up to what your goals are. <laughs> like not everybody's goal is to be a homeowner. Some people, they're just like, I would rather rent. I know this one guy, he's a millionaire and he does not own a home. He does not own a car. He literally travels with two suitcases and that's how he lives. And so anywhere he goes, he just rents out a really dope, nice house in whatever country he's in. And that's just how he lives his life. And I'm like, that is so dope. So not everybody needs to buy a home and it might not be everybody's goals. It all, it all goes back to what are your goals and what do you accomplish?
4: Yeah, I agree. So as Renita said, I have a book coming out and it's about preparing yourself for homeownership. But it's a chapter in the book that compares renting versus owning, single family versus multi-unit. Buying a condo and comparing and contrasting all of the different so you can make an educated decision if and where home buying fits into your financial goals. Not just something to jump into, but a decision to make educated and more financially savvy to decide whether this is a good decision for you.
2: Yes, yes. And Kamaria, see your hand up. We have 10 minutes. I wanted to make the announcement before Rakim does. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go ahead.
0: Now, let, let Rakim be the parliamentarian. Let him do his job. <laughs> but one of the myths I wanted to throw out there, right, is that there is no one way. Right. All, a lot of times we always say there's one way to get the wealth. There's one way to do one thing, but there really isn't. Some of us have a calling. Right, to a career. Some of us kind of chose their career because it was it worked out for them. But all those paths work. And so when people say real estate is the only way to go, you back in and there. That's not necessarily true, right? If it's buying stock, like I love the stock market, but I would never sit there and tell you that that's the only way to go to wealth, right? When you look at the biggest wealth accumulators, they're probably business owners. Guess who has the biggest risk? Business owners. Sometimes you gotta work a job, and that's okay. A lot of millionaires and billionaires had jobs before, and they still were able to make it. So it's not just one way to do a thing. Sometimes you gotta go through a couple of things to figure out what your way is, and that's okay too.
2: Completely agree. Completely agree. And even like us being in our niche, right, which is personal finance and being creators, there's so many different ways that we each make money, like there's so many different ways to do this, and that's that, like take that, like take this microcosm of 10 people you see up here, and multiply that by every single industry. Like there's so many different ways to make money out here. It just comes down to what you like to do, what you're interested in, and then how to monetize that. So whether it's at a nine to five or whether it's on an entrepreneurship tip, there's ways to monetize your skills and interests. Does anybody want to say anything else? We still have eight minutes, y'all. We still we under time. So does anybody want to throw out another myth? Or... <laughs> the baby <babies. laughs> she said what she said right I'm
3: sorry she's learning the phone now
2: all right well I guess if nobody has any other myths or anything to throw out there we won't be in trouble with Rakim we'll be under time so we need kudos uh, but everybody right,
3: subtract so this from last week
2: <laughs> right. So thank you so much, everyone, for joining this space. I'll do my quick spiel. We do this every Monday at 9 p.m. Eastern. It's Fin Noir, a space for Black money talk, where we just tackle whatever topic comes to mind. Today it was financial myths because it is supposedly Columbus Day, but we gonna call it Indigenous Peoples Day. And so we were like, that's a good theme. Let's talk about some myths out there and put a financial spin. Last week we did books, which was really good. I've gotten a lot of good feedback from that. And actually I'm working on getting it up on the podcast as we speak right now. So if you missed that one and you don't feel like scrolling through my Twitter feed, cause it's a lot, it'll be on the podcast, the Money Talk with Tiff podcast as well, hopefully later tonight. And you can listen to that replay. So what I'll start doing is, Every time we have a talk, the following week, you can catch the replay of the previous week's talk. Definitely check that out. And it also has links to all of the cool people you see up here. So even if you want to follow them off of Twitter, all of their links will be there. So thank you so much. And hopefully I will see you all next week for Noir Monday at 9 p.m. Bye. Mm-hmm.